Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now enjoy the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Ariel Roldan, pastor of the Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist Churches in the Michigan Conference. And now, here's Pastor Ariel. This morning we're going to start a brand new series on Marriage Covenant as I began to pray and plan and Elder Sneeman and Lori Sneeman agreed to come and do this weekend workshop last Sabbath. I realized it would be great to segue that with a couple more of meditations, instructions from the Word of God in regards to marriage. And they've been a blessing for me, for my marriage. Very encouraging. I pray it will be the same for you. Most of the material, of course, comes from the Bible. There's another book that if you're able to find it, I would encourage you to get it. You may be familiar with an Adventist professor named Samuel Bakioki. He's most known for his work on the Sabbath, but he's actually written a book called The Marriage Covenant. And much of this sermon series is based upon his book. There's another pastor, he's a Presbyterian pastor, Timothy Keller. He wrote another book called The Meaning of Marriage. It's an excellent book as well. Very well written, very biblically sound. And of course, Adventist Home, Patriarchs and Prophets, Steps to Christ, These Are of Ages. Many of those books have also been sources for this sermon series. So I want to pray that before we engage it, God will open our hearts to receive the blessing He wants to give us this morning. Father, I'm already blessed by fellowshipping and opening your word with our brothers and sisters in Belgium. As we were looking at your law this morning, it was encouraging for me to know that there's a body of believers faithfully meeting, faithfully, Lord, in spite of the language barriers, cultural barriers, COVID barriers. You are showing them a way to still be a church, to still be connected. And Father, it just encouraged me. Thank you for the opportunities and blessings we have in our country. Give us of your spirit that we can maximize these opportunities you give us. And Father, this morning, we need your spirit to speak to our hearts. Open our understanding, Father, that these truths from your word will become real and applicable to each of our lives. Thank you for blessing us with your word. We ask that your spirit be the one explaining and teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen, Father. These are the sermon series, Marriage as a Covenant, this morning, Living the Marriage Covenant, the Law of the Marriage Covenant, Covenant Marriage and Sex, How to Face Attacks on the Marriage Covenant, Marriage Covenant and Divorce, Marriage Covenant and Mission. I remember growing up in the church and hearing sermons with that word covenant in Spanish, pacto. And immediately in my mind, I would think, oh, ring. Oh, covenant. What is that? And I can understand because a lot of the concepts and words in the Bible are foreign to us. And there's one that really stands out, and that is covenant. It gets flung around in Christian circles. It means this to this church group, this to that group. And yet, for us, we're sometimes left wondering what is covenant. And this morning, I'm happy that we will be studying it in the context of marriage. Contract versus covenant. I think sometimes we get those two confused. Contracts engage the services of people, whereas covenants engage what church? Persons. 
You make a contract with a plumber. You make a contract with a chef. You make a contract with a photographer. But you do not make a contract with your spouse. Contracts are made for a stipulated period of time, whereas covenants are forever. Contracts can be broken with material laws to the contracting parties, whereas covenants cannot be broken, but if violated, they result in personal loss and broken hearts. But this is the most precious part of a covenant, at least from the scriptures. Contracts are witnessed by people with the state as guarantors. Covenants are witnessed by who? By God, with God as the guarantor. What does that mean? It means that 13 years ago, when I was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, in front of Deline, and my precious bride, glorious and glowing and beautiful as she does today, even after a girl's been sick and her hair is not <laughs> as done as it was that day, she's so precious and beautiful. We stood before each other, and there was a part in the wedding ceremony that if you've been married, you've partaken of, where we say our vows. You guys remember that day? Some people like to write their own. Some people like to have this standard in sickness and in health, poverty, etc. And there's fine. But what I've come to understand from the scriptural teaching of covenant is that that day I made a covenant with the lean in God's presence. But the one that makes himself responsible for the success of those vows to be fulfilled is God. I'm going to say that again. No matter what promises I made to the lean that day, there's a book called Steps to Christ that says that our promises are as ropes of sand. But when I enter into a marriage covenant with another human being, the one that guarantees the success of that marriage is not either of the human parties. Who is the guarantor of that covenant relationship? God. Praise God, huh? Kind of takes off the pressure. <laughs> because I tell you, I tried to make it work for the first couple of years, and they were not the nicest. And when humans try to fulfill something that belongs to God, we are not very good at fulfilling that. So this idea of marriage covenant is not really about us trying harder to be nicer husbands, nicer wives, but opening up ourselves to the grace of God and allowing Him to be the guarantor of our marriages. Amen? We're going to look at three covenantal phases. As we are starting this first sermon, we're going to set the foundation as to what a covenant is, what it looks like, what it does for the marriage couples. And in the upcoming series, we'll develop this theme further. And Michelle read for us the verse that opens to our understanding the three covenantal phases. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In this one verse, God defines and describes the process by which each human being can experience the covenant, the marriage covenant. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This language gets repeated throughout the entire Bible, but not primarily in marriage context. These three words, that sequence gets repeated over and over as God engages humanity to save humanity. The experience of marriage post-sin 
The way God has created the marriage covenant to be experienced is to be a life lesson, an experiential life lesson for the couple, for the husband and the wife, in the process of what it feels like to be saved and loved by God. The way I experience my marriage with God in it becomes my personal lesson book as to what God has done to save me. It becomes a salvational experience for me. It teaches me salvation. Leave, join, become. Can we say that out loud so that it gets ingrained in our brain? Leave, join, become. These are the three covenantal phases, and we will see this repeated throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We will look at this first part of this covenantal phase, the leaving part. In Genesis 12.1, God is about to make a covenant with Abram. And the first thing he tells Abram to do is found in Genesis 12.1. The Lord had said to Abraham, and what are his first words? Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land which I will show you. In the same way that God says a married couple begins this covenantal phase, is the exact same way he begins the covenant of salvation with Abraham. By telling Abraham to do what with his family? Leave. Leave his family. In Jesus in the New Testament, in Luke 5, 10 through 11, tells us, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. Like Bruce. <laughs> So they pulled their boats up shore and did what with everything they had? Left everything. And not just their boats. They also left their wives. They left their families. Peter's mother-in-law was sick, which means he was a married man. They left everything to follow Jesus. The experience of the covenant of salvation begins with an appeal to leave. So when I experience marriage, the act of leaving my mother and father, leaving those things behind, becomes to me the reference point of what it feels like to leave everything for Jesus Christ. Which, of course, teaches us the struggle of leaving. Leaving those things that ought not be part of the marriage. We struggle with sometimes understanding how do we do that with our parents. Again, from the book Marriage Covenant, Samuel Bakyoki, I think, summarizes it quite well. As adults, we assume responsibility for our parents rather than to our parents. Do you know what that sentence means? It means that should you care for your parents as they get older? Should your parent tell you how to run your marriage? No. No. And if you are a parent and you want to have kids that are going to get married, as we say in South America, keep your ladle out of their pot. Amen. Let them burn the soup a couple of times because we burnt the soup as well, right? And that's how we learn to make our soup in our home. And it's not that you intervene in extreme situations, but you have to let your kids leave you so that they can become one. And you as a married couple need to be aware that no matter how hard you may try, we bring our parents into our marriage by default. Even if you leave your parents' home, which is a cultural thing, really. In Argentina, I was born into my grandparents' home, and in that home lived my uncle and aunt, my single uncle, and my parents and me. Every morning, we would wake up, and there were three families sharing one bathroom and one kitchen. That was normal. 
a lot of people in Argentina did that. I don't think they do that anymore. But in America, if you get married, you move out of the basement, right? You move out of your room, typically. But even if you were to leave your parents' home physically, you have to understand that you take your parents with you inside. Right? You following what I'm trying to say? So this leaving process, I mean, Abraham left his parents' home, but he didn't leave some of the habits he learned in his parents' home. We already saw that when we did the whole series on the visiting God. Remember that? What was the one bad habit that Abraham took from his home that even though he was no longer living with his parents, he still practiced? Do you guys remember what that, that's a one dominant bad weakness that Abraham had? His family told lies. When he sends Eliezer to look for a daughter for Isaac, she does the same thing he does. It ran in the family, you could say. And even though Abraham was no longer living there, his parents, his grandparents, that legacy still lived inside of him. So God was trying to teach Abraham, yes, you need to physically remove yourself from your family. You're starting something brand new with me. But there's more than just leaving your parents' tents. Elder Ted Wilson said that it took God one night to get Israel out of Egypt and 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Does that make sense? So marriage is a lifelong process in learning to leave those things that don't belong in my marriage and allowing God to bring those things that can make my marriage the unique and beautiful blessing He wants it to be. So the leaving experience is not just simply an abstract, but a real experience that also teaches us about salvation. Leaving is a radical shift in priorities. It means leaving past priorities. It doesn't mean you leave them. It's just that they're no longer your priorities as they were when you were single. Leaving past priorities based on your independence, such as your jobs, advanced education, sports, past lives, friends, even church work. Delina and I were at Andrews, and a young lady that had had some interest in me in the past had been befriended by me before I met Delina on Facebook. And one day she posted something that was questionable, and Delina brought it to my attention. You know what I did with that friendship? Axed it immediately. Because if I'm going to be now with my wife, I vow to her I'm going to leave all others, right? And all others does not just include a past friends with interest, but also past interests themselves. That young lady, I don't know whatever happened to her, but that was the end of it. And my wife's the one that found something that, what is this? I don't know. Took delete. That was it. Now, that was easy, comparable to doing things that my parents did at home. How do you deal with money? How do you deal with when you're tight with money? What's the difference between frugal and cheap, right? There is a difference. Some people get those crossed over. You can be frugal and still get nice things for your wife, right? But you can be cheap and use that as an excuse for not getting things for your wife. Are we catching that? And so sometimes we get those confused because of our families. Just like Elder Snaman and Lori Snaman said, there are things inside of us that we will continually recognize we have to leave. 
if I am to experience the covenant marriage, there, there is this constant examining my heart of things that I need to leave, which is an identical parallel of salvation experience. Are there still moments where you discover that there are things in your life you have yet to surrender to Jesus? Do you still recognize that there are things you have not yet left behind from your past lives? Jesus told his disciples, there are many things I have said to you, but you cannot bear them. I will bring them to you gradually. So in salvation experience, we are constantly confronted with the realities of there are motives and insinuations and habits and practices that I may not have been aware before, or maybe I was, and I'm just refusing to let them go, that the Holy Spirit is saying, if you want to experience a covenant of salvation with the Lord, you have to leave that behind. So marriage is a tangible lesson book of what salvation experience feels like, looks like. Leaving, choosing to heal as well. You don't just leave bad habits. We leave behind the inner wounds and hurts of our childhoods. Every one of us come into our marriages with scars and sometimes even wounds that have not fully healed. That's why Jesus becomes the centerpiece, should become the centerpiece of every home. In Luke 14, 18 through 19, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, the Father, has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal what kind of individuals? Brokenhearted. Anyone here who has had their hearts healed by Jesus' grace and love and is still having that experience? This is the experience of the marriage in which you get front row seats at seeing the grace of God work in, in, in a human being in ways that you could not watch your parents and you cannot watch your children the same way. It's a different kind of relationship. Once you get married, this is a unique relationship in which God begins to teach you what it means and the methods by which he heals people's broken hearts, yours and your spouse's. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In a most precious way, this is a promise that God wants and desires to apply to each of our marriages. When we get married in the presence of God, God becomes the guarantor that this relationship will succeed. And he'll invest all of heaven to make sure that each of our marriages becomes successful. Isn't that awesome news? That is encouraging, especially when we experience those moments in our marriages where we need extra grace. So we go from leaving to joining, joining, cleaving, depending on the translation, cleaving or clinging. And that's the idea of something being permanently glued or joined together. It's not just you gotta leave, but now you also got to cling. You got to cleave or join. This is the exact same language that God used in Deuteronomy 10.20, Deuteronomy 11.22, Deuteronomy 13.4, and Deuteronomy 30 verse 20 in speaking to Israel about salvation. How are you to survive in the wilderness and how are you to survive in the promised land that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may do what to him? Cling. Same exact word that God used describing the phases of marriage covenant. You leave and then you cling. You cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. 
just because the Bible uses the same word, it doesn't really provide a tangible. And it's used elsewhere. And there's one story that it is used that helps us understand the kind of bond that happens in this relationship. And it comes with beautiful tender, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. Ruth 1.14 and then 16 through 17 says the following. This is when Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws to return, that she doesn't want to see them suffering because of her sufferings. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth did what to Naomi? Clung to her. What does that mean? Ruth replied, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That's clinging. From this moment and the last thing, the only thing that will separate it is what? Death. In fact, even then, I'll be buried next to you. This is what clinging means. It's a commitment of no matter what. I am choosing to be stuck with you. Yesterday, I was repairing something that got broken up, something plastic that was very fragile. And so I have some Gorilla Glue that is kind of like better for crazy glue, which is the first product that came out that did this. How many of you guys have ever used crazy glue or Gorilla Glue? How many of you guys had ever got your fingers? <laughs> you don't think about it until after it's happened. And so I finally was able to fit these intricate pieces of plastic together and put the glue on it. And I was holding it there till it dried and I was blowing it, trying to get the fumes away from me. And then a thought occurred to me. Um, did you check that you didn't have glue in your fingers? Because you're blowing awfully hard and 45 seconds have gone by. <laughs> That's going to be hard to preach like this tomorrow uh, in this position. So I had to really pull apart and I had, I still have a little bit of remnant of Gorilla Glue in my fingertips. I read the instructions after that. <laughs> and he said that if I were to put Gorilla Glue here and here and press, it says, it glues skin instantly. It may denaturize the protein in my skin cells and cause them to become one blob of skin. I don't know what it does, but I don't want to try it. But that gives me an idea of what happened between Ruth and Naomi. You have to think about the words and actions of Ruth. She has lost her husband. There's a famine in the land. They are two women. She is still young. Her other sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to her family. She has gone back to look for a new husband, to start afresh, to have a better, maybe healthier husband that doesn't die on them. During this time in history and culture, your husband was the provision of everything for you. Inheritance, food, rights to the land, etc. And if you lost your husband, and if you lost your father-in-law, and there was no male to represent you, you had no social status whatsoever. Ruth had everything to lose and stay with Naomi. So I have a question for you this morning. Why did Ruth choose to stay with Naomi? Why do you think Ruth said to her, wherever you go, I go, where you stay, I stay, and where you die, I die? What kept Ruth glued to her mother-in-law? She saw a picture of God, and 
that picture had a strong component of a love that no pagan idol from her back home could face. So that echoes even Abraham's call, does it not? I'm going to leave my father and mother, and I'm going to cling to a God that to Europe here, and Naomi was not being a very good evangelist. Call me Mara, God's hands against me, uh, call me bitter. And in spite of all of that, Ruth still sees something better in that God than in the gods of her land. So the salvation experience, when I choose to cling to my wife, to my husband, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the famines, in spite of the tragedies, it gives me a chance to recognize that this glue that glued Ruth to Naomi is not of human origin. Love is not of human origin. The Bible tells us where love comes from. There's only one source from it. Where is it, church? God is love, and love is from God. We love Him only because He first loved us. So it's not that Ruth was this super, super nice daughter-in-law. It's that she had opened up her heart to the influence of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had poured into her a capacity that only the love of God can provide the empowerment to cling to another human being in spite of adverse situations. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's what the marriages say, right? That part that says in sickness or in health, in poverty or in wealth. Who's going to live in wealth, right? Well, we are humans. And the best most attached thing we can promise someone else are ropes made out of sand. How much do we need the Lord to fulfill these marriage covenants? It is imperative. It is vital. It is a non-option experience. And when I am married, there are moments that there will be the whisperings of go back, leave, look at this failure, look at the disappointments, look at the discouragement, Leave, leave. No, I'm going to cling. That's a covenant. A covenant is the choice to cling when every other force is telling me to leave. And that capacity to stay, I'm staying. That empowerment to meet it and say, I'm going to cling. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you die, I'll die. That ability to cling like that can only come from a covenant-keeping God. Because God made a promise to humanity. When that covenant was fulfilled and God sent his son Jesus, he was born in a manger. His parentage was questioned. He was insulted and derided. And I've just finished the gospel of Mark. And the most painful words that Jesus could hear were spoken to him at the cross. If you are the Christ, do what from the cross? And then we will believe in you. Look at him. Others he saved, he cannot save himself. Why was Jesus not saving himself? Because if he had saved himself, he could not save us. But he clung to the human race. He could have said, Father, enough. I can't do this. I can't think of leaving you in exchange for this. But just like God told Abraham to leave, and just like Ruth chose to leave, Jesus also chose to leave heaven. He chose to leave heaven to unite and cling himself to humanity by an inseparable bond, the incarnation. We have said this verse out loud and we should never get tired of saying it. John 3.16, you want to join me in saying it out loud? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Emphasis on the Father gave. He didn't let us borrow Jesus for a little bit, save us, and then he took him back. Jesus will forever retain humanity. He has clung to us. Cleaving reflects the central concept of covenant fidelity. In the sight of God, cleaving means wholehearted commitment which spills over to every area of our being. Cleaving involves unswerving loyalty to one's marital partner. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt. And when Satan was whispering to him, leave, leave them. Look at the religious leaders. They're mocking you. Look, where are your disciples? They've abandoned you. Even the criminals next to you are scoffing at you. The soldiers leave. Jesus chose to stay. And that is the power that gives you the capacity to stay. When our carnal nature and situations and circumstances are almost prompting us to say, forget this, forget this, I'm throwing, I've had enough. No, the power of the cross can glue marriages together that they can cling to one another no matter what the circumstances be. That's the power of the cross in a marriage experience. Marriage is God's living way of experientially teaching the married couple the gospel. And through that married couple, revealing the gospel to an unbelieving world. Is that powerful? So it's not about what society tells us through the movies. The movies and entertainment tell us marriage is for romance. There's nothing more romantic than clinging. You want to look at what romantic is, is commitment. The world really doesn't glorify it too much. Sometimes it just cannot but look at it. Some years ago, there was a man, a very handsome man, who for some time in my childhood, I was like, I want to be like him. His name was Christopher Reeves. You familiar with him? Super handsome guy, and you said it, Bruce. What role did he become famous for? Superman. He loved riding horses. And doing a jumping show, he landed on his neck and became an instant quadriplegic. And his wife clung to him. It became a huge slap in the face to a society and a culture that is all about your convenience. And when this ruins your plans, when this relationship drags you down, when this relationship saps your energy, when this relationship does not allow your dreams to be fulfilled, walk away from it. Just leave it behind. Because it's all about you. This woman stuck by her husband, Christopher Reeve. What did she have to gain from it? A husband that she had to turn over every few hours, feed, bathe, watching care for 24-7. What does she have to gain from it? There's something to be gained when I choose to love sacrificially. 
Pagans, what they call love is really selfishness. I'm with you because you are convenient to me. But the cross teaches us what covenant marriage offers. It offers you security. It lets you experience in the real what God offers us to us in the abstract and the spiritual. Someone that when you are at your worst still stays by your side. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the... And then what? Gave himself. Gave himself for her. There's nothing more encouraging and healing than a wife that sees her husband staying by her. Though things may not have been as they have planned. He will not leave me. There's nothing more empowering that gives peace and security to a man than to see a woman that was not with him because of the car or the house or whatever else, but a woman that will not leave him. And they become agents of grace and agents of revelation to each other, and they get to experience the promise that God makes to humanity in which he tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I know what that feels like because I experienced that through the marriage covenant because my spouse is clinging to me. Isn't that powerful? Yes, the Bible is about romance, but romance is about the cross, not about what the world peddles as romance. The purpose of joining, why did Jesus become humanity? Why did he join himself to the human race? Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he experience what? Death. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Why did Jesus become human? Because as a human being, he had to experience what? Death. This is the spiritual realities of what God had to go through to save us. And through marriage, we are invited to learn those experiences through a human relationship. That's the marriage covenant. Joining each other so I can die to self. Colossians 3, 5 to 8 invites every human being, but especially married couples. Therefore, put to what? Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you yourself are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. What is a marriage like when the husband puts to death these things consistently? What is a marriage like when the wife puts to death these things consistently? Yeah, amen. <laughs> and it's a paradox, right? Because who could ever say that something good can come out of death? Well, it depends what dies. If these things die, my marriage stays alive. But if these things stay alive, what happens to my marriage? It dies. So if I want my marriage to stay alive, these things need to die because Jesus wanted me alive. And the only way that Jesus could maintain and give me the gift of life, it was through his death. And if you want your marriage to survive, husbands, you need to die as well. And wives, if you want your marriage to survive, you need to die as well. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, because as we die through that spiritual death, we can be resurrected to newness of life. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on 
tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these, put on love, which is the what? Can you give me a synonym for bond? Gorilla glue. <laughs> the love of God is that gorilla glue. Though Satan may try to pull, 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 God becomes the warrantor. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 19. Whatever God has joined, let not men. is not so much of a command as it is a promise. Think about it. It's not so much a threat as it is a promise. What I have joined, I'm committed to keep joined. The day that you get married before me and you said, I will do all these things, I knew you couldn't keep it for five seconds. But because you did it in my presence, because you chose to honor the biblical mandate and you come to me to make these vows in front of me, I now become responsible for the success of your marriage. Every morning, I will send my spirit to awakening you the desire to put to death those things that will kill your marriage so that I can infuse you with that which will bring freshness to your marriage, beauty, satisfaction, patience, humility, meekness. And above all, every married couple knows that this is a must, a predisposition to forgive. A predisposition to forgive as God has forgiven you. The parable of Matthew 18 about the man that is forgiven a trillion dollars meets a fellow man that needs to be forgiven $200. That gets to be experienced in marriage a lot. In which you think you've been wronged tremendous, tremendously by your spouse. But then the Spirit of God takes you to the foot of the cross and you realize what you have to forgive is minuscule compared to what God has forgiven you. And then forgiveness becomes easy. And then as we experience the fruits of forgiveness, it becomes a delight. Not just simply because we experience forgiving someone else, but we begin to experience what it feels like to be forgiven for our shortcomings and imperfections. Forgiveness also assures us, assures you, to dispel the myth of the knight in shining armor. Most metals oxidize on this planet. And there is no one perfect, even a Christian. So if I'm married to someone, it's a fact that I'm going to have to forgive things. And it is a fact that I will have to have things forgiven to me. And the one place where I can be replenished with the capacity to forgive has been provided with abundance by the grace of Jesus Christ. The book of Romans assures us that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, which means that if the grace of God is in me, he doesn't just give me like a cheap God, right? A cheap God would give you just barely enough to make it. God gives you overflow. In the Old Testament, he says that your cup will overflow. Doesn't that what Psalms 23 says? He closes with my cup. God keeps pouring and pouring and pouring so that it can spill over into your spouse and your children. 2 Peter 1, 3-4, becoming, 
We have done the leaving, the joining, and now we're at the third and last phase, becoming. Second Peter 1, 3-4. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious, what church? Promises. That through these promises, you may be partaker of what? Divine nature. I leave, I cling, and through the divine promises, I become. I'm doing this for morning worship with the kids at Northview. We're discovering what partakers of the divine nature is. And I asked the students, if I were to come to the school with a big, large pizza pie, and I give them an opportunity to eat of it, they partake of it. That's what it means to partake. You are now part of it. To be partaker of the divine nature can simply be summarized as becoming like who? Like Jesus. You don't become like Jesus. And I've asked them this question, hopefully to get them to conceptualize. If they're struggling with the multiplication tables, what must they do to get better? Study and practice. If they're having a hard time spelling, they're having a difficult time spelling, what must they do with spelling? Study and practice. And if they're not doing very good at being Christians, what must they do? Not practice. We don't become better Christians by trying harder. We become partakers of the divine nature by the promises of God. That's it. It is a work of faith. It is a work of faith. God works in you both to will and to do. It's all God. Yes, I have a role to play. And my role is to put my faith in those exceedingly great and precious promises. It is His divine power that has provided them. And I become a partaker. I become one with God in that His character day by day becomes my character as well. Which... I see videos of myself now, and I look at myself sometimes in the mirror, and I hear myself sometimes say things that come out naturally from my own thinking, and I'm like, those are the things that my wife says. Some of you guys are smiling. <laughs> and my wife, there are things that she now eats that she thought were gross when we first got married, and now she loves them. And there are things that she says now, even in Spanish, that sound quite Argentinian, even though she's a Puerto Rican. There are things that she now sees different because for 13 years, what has been happening to our personalities? Becoming one. I don't know if you, Bruce, and Holly have sometimes finished off each other's sentences. That's what happens between us and Jesus, isn't it? We become one with him, and marriage gives you a practical, tangible of what that looks like. When you open your heart to your marriage partner, your lives will blend in wonderful, miraculous ways. And that will become to you an emblem, a visible, tangible representation of, I mean, in the book of Revelation, it finishes with a wedding. It is so powerful that the relationship that you and I have embarked is not simply so that we can get a better tax break or, you know, have kids or whatever it is. The number one reason why God has maintained marriage post-sin is so that you and I can experience the gospel in tangible ways. 
that we can begin to understand what God must feel like for me as I begin to understand how I feel for my wife when he has transformed my heart. The desire to protect my wife, the desire to see her happy and fulfilled, the desire for me to let her know how much I love her vaguely, dimly lets me know how much God loves me. Same for the wife to the husband. The marriage covenant becomes a lifelong journey of understanding the gospel personally. Becoming one. That's what God said in Genesis 2.24. A man shall leave, cling, and become one. John 17, 20 through 22, I do not pray for these alone. This is Jesus' last prayer. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be, what church? One. That the world may believe that you have sent me and the glory which you have gave me, I have given them that they may be three times. Jesus emphasized his greatest yearning and desire that you and I can experience the same oneness that him and the Father have. And those were the words pronounced in the marriage covenant in Genesis. A man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. Marriage becomes the tangible Bible study through another human being of what salvation is all about and the changes that it can produce in us. So the appreciation of marriage becomes broad and ample. When my marriage spouse, and we'll talk about this in the series, things happen to my marriage spouse that is not like it was before, and we're limping, and I'm limping. Well, that helps you understand how God is committed to you when you are limping spiritually, when you are not where you need to be. And what restores you is what will restore your spouse. And you'll begin to act by faith and say, how did God get me out of this limping, lukewarm stage? What did God do to me to reawaken that first love? I need to do those things as a husband to my wife as well, or vice versa. So the manual for making marriage work becomes how you and your relationship with God works as well. They are direct parallels. Our closing text says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is... In Christ, there's the clinging. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. There is a leaving. Behold, all things have become new. There are the three covenantal phases right in the heart of the gospel. Marriage is the visible lesson of God's salvation to the human race and to the universe. The heavenly agencies are learning about God's love through our marriages. So this morning as we conclude this first sermon on the covenant marriage, the appeal is to be in Christ is an exceedingly abundant promise that offers power, healing, hope, and peace to your marriage. You don't have what it takes to make it successful. God does. Church, You don't have what it takes to make your marriage successful. God does. And God is abundantly making available all that is necessary. And he is committing to making your marriage successful. Be committed to your marriage in a covenant, not a contract. He is not your plumber. She is not your cook. Amen. Amen. Through it, 
through your marriage, God will teach you the gospel of your salvation. And in heaven, when we look back at our marriage years, we will understand and praise God for the partner that has walked through us all these years down here. Amy Paulson is a pastor's wife from up north, and she sends these little emails. And some months ago, she sent a statement that said, good marriages are not individuals that are perfect and married to each other, but individuals that are married and are perfect for each other. And that perfect for each other means that, like, you guys remember that illustration of the brain from Lori Stamen? The things that are opposite become complementary. God has joined you together. Don't get discouraged. God is the guarantor. He makes himself the guarantor for the success of each of our marriages. Father, thank you for giving us a biblical perspective of what a covenant is. And I am not a good example, Father, of it. I don't think any of us husbands or wives could ever say, here, look at me, I'm the perfect revelation of a covenant-keeping person. That's what you have given us, Jesus. He is the perfect covenant-keeping revelation of you. Father, you have been so faithful to the human race. You made us a promise, and you have kept that promise. You gave us your son, Jesus, at an infinite eternal cost to you and to heaven. Thank you. Thank you that you didn't ask Jesus to come back. And Jesus, thank you that you stayed. Thank you that you thought of us. How broken, how brokenhearted we were. If you would have left us, we would have been so hopeless, so desperate, destined to self-destruct. So we want to thank you, first of all, for fulfilling the covenant to save us. Thank you for Abraham's example. Thank you for all the Bible people that their example shows how faithful you are at times in spite of our unfaithfulness to you. This morning, Father, we pray that you would heal our broken hearts, that you would fill us with your love, that the covenant of the marriage, the marriage covenant, can be experienced as it should be, as a revelation of the gospel of our salvation. Help us to see our partners, Lord, the way we should, our spouses. As individuals of a journey, that every day will become a lesson book of your love for us as we experience love for each other. As we continue through this series, Father, I pray that it would rejuvenate and revive our families and our marriages. Bless us, Father, and thank you once again for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen, Lord. You have been listening to Ariel Roldan, pastor of Cadillac and Lake City Seventh-day Adventist churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Cadillac Church at 801 East Division Street in Cadillac, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11 a.m. Or visit the Lake City Church located at 5970 West Sanborn Road in Lake City, Michigan, and their church service begins at 9.30 a.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.